This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 3rd, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. There appears to be little appetite in Congress to hold James Clapper, the Director of National Intelligence, accountable for having lied to Congress about the extent of NSA collection of Americans' information. And a leaked draft of an NSA Inspector General's report is shedding even more light on the extent of that agency's gathering of Americans' data. Julian Sanchez, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, comments. The latest round of leaks uh, on NSA surveillance from The Guardian have revealed uh, a bit of new information about both NSA metadata surveillance and the broader uh, warrantless wiretap program or stellar wind that President Bush authorized uh, after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, one thing that was confirmed here, we, I think, suspected uh, already but has, has been verified is that it's not just a question of American phone call records being obtained in bulk, but also internet metadata, meaning at least some kind of information about IP addresses uh, connected to, so that might include things like the websites people are visiting, as well as email uh, header information, not the contents of the subject line or the message, but the to and from and date and time information, which, again, when you think about the differences between how we use the internet and how we use phones, can be a lot more revealing. You get a much more kind of blow-by-blow picture of, uh, for example, a conversation that might be taking place on a political listserv. Uh, So we know now that that program went on until at least 2011, that it was, for unspecified reasons, discontinued at that time, uh, and that through some kind of other mechanisms, uh, the NSA does continue to get at least international uh, internet metadata, which again, because the internet is global, will implicate American communications a lot of the time. Um, We also learn that uh, I think the initial warrantless wiretap program seems to have been rather broader than even has been revealed to date. Uh, The description of it has traditionally been that this is uh, surveillance that was targeting specific uh, people in communication with foreign known terrorist targets. Uh, In fact, it appears that the authorization treated all communications between the U.F. and Afghanistan as of potential foreign intelligence interest. And so the standard there was any any communication where there's probable cause to believe one end of it is in Afghanistan could be intercepted. Uh, and also any communication where one person was believed to be in preparation for acts of international terrorism. And apparently, after this authorization was issued, uh, David Addington, the uh, lawyer for Vice President Dick Cheney at the time, pointed out to then NSA head uh, Hayden that that authorization could be read to authorize the interception of totally domestic communications. It appears that Hayden himself rejected this idea, basically said, this is not something the NSA does or is set up to do. Um, but there uh, does appear to have been pressure at the time to, um, to, to expand that program, uh, even to include completely domestic communications. Uh, so that's one issue there. We learned something about the scope of that program. We know that about 37,000 phone numbers and email addresses were flagged for interception over the lifespan of that warrantless wiretap program, uh, of which we know that about 3,000 were U.S. phone numbers and email addresses. Uh, it doesn't mean that those are the only people who were spied on, of course. Uh, any of those uh, other 34,000 uh 
emails and phone numbers that were in communication with an American, uh, that also would have been swept in. But it was 3,000 specific U.S. phone numbers and emails that were flagged for collection. Uh, I think we also see in one of the 2007 memos released by The Guardian the danger of mission creep here. We see uh, a Justice Department official suggesting that because the U.S. has vast amounts of uh, metadata in its databases on American uh, phone and Internet communications, that they had rules in place that stopped what they call contact chaining through those numbers, meaning when they're, they're doing a kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon analysis to say, well, this guy called that guy and that guy emailed that guy and we're going to get a picture of the whole network of who they're communicating with. I was saying that they had, had internal rules that said, well, we're going to stop when we hit an American number or an American email address and not keep chaining through to look at all the people Americans are communicating with when we do these analyses. And they said, well, but it seems such a shame not to, not to look at that too. And so why don't we get rid of that limitation on looking at American communications too? Uh, it's important, I think, to stress this because we are so often told, don't worry, we have secret procedures. Sure, we're sweeping up millions of emails and all these phone calls, but we have a lot of safeguards behind the scenes that are going to keep your privacy protected from domestic surveillance. And the problem, of course, is even assuming those rules are good enough and looking at those minimization procedures, they seem to be full of loopholes, um, including an ability to keep all encrypted communications, uh, apparently some kind of ability to provide unminimized communications of Americans to the FBI if the a party uh, of that communication is on some kind of FBI watch list. No shortage of loopholes. But even if you thought they were adequate at the time, when you're collecting data in bulk, you've got it. The data lasts until you delete it. The rules only last until you decide to change them and change them in secret. So what chance do we have that uh, minimization as an idea is going to become more robust? You know, one of the problems here is that secrecy makes it really difficult to do robust oversight. Uh, we see, you know, that, that actually in, even with that original warrantless wiretap program, there were incidents uh, unspecified of noncompliance with the procedures that didn't end up getting reported in a timely way because the uh, inspector general of the NSA himself wasn't cleared uh, for that program. Uh, it also seems like the secrecy was a problem because the analysts tasking searches under this program didn't always actually see the author or didn't ever see the actual language of the authorization. And so it wasn't entirely clear to them what the limits on their ability to do surveillance really were. Uh, more generally, it's, it's very hard to count on either the secret FISA court, this is uh, 11 justice, uh, judges at this point basically all appointed by uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, um, who are authorizing broad uh, programmatic surveillance, but the, the volume of this means that there's just not a lot of, of realistic ability to do more granular uh, oversight of the of the specific kind of collection that's going on because the quantity of it is so huge. Uh, Senator Kirk asked er Eric Holder recently, uh, can you give us any assurance that the Supreme Court and that members of the House and Senate or their phones that were in the House and Senate were not um, 
swept up in this, and information from those from those phone calls were not swept up. And Eric Holder responded, uh, I guess, interestingly, that maybe the pub- public forum was not the best place to have that discussion. Well, yeah, it wouldn't be super surprising. We know that uh, I think Jane Harman, among others, have uh, been swept up in surveillance uh, by the government of various kinds. We know that uh, certainly uh, members of Congress, uh, members of, of the Supreme Court and other judges have been in the past uh, targets of surveillance for you know, just nakedly political purposes. Um, even we have currently some former NSA employees and whistleblowers who have alleged that they uh, became aware of, of targeting of political figures. It's not uh, easy to know how seriously to take that, but um, certainly it's something that, that people who used to work for the NSA have at least alleged, and uh, there seems to be a strange lack of interest in following up on that. Um, we have claims that they are routinely auditing and checking uh, numbers that are tasked uh, to ensure that Americans are not targeted. Uh, NSA officials have testified that they don't believe that that's happened. Um, but these things are secret. There's so much happening that uh, really they can realistically only audit a pretty small percentage, I think, of the actual uh, collection and analysis that, that goes on. Um, so it's it's hard to say. They they can tell us, maybe honestly, that, that it's not happening as far as they know. But as uh, DNI Clapper once said, the only person who really has full visibility on all of these special access programs is God. And uh, if he is conducting oversight or assisting the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee, I uh, haven't heard about that yet either. So James Clapper uh, in March lied to uh, Senator Ron Wyden about the collection of Americans' data. Is anything happening to follow up on that? Yeah, I, I haven't seen any sign that there are going to be consequences for a pretty undeniable and overt lie to Congress. This is pretty disturbing uh, that that even Congress itself is willing to uh, overlook their deception uh, by a, a leading intelligence official. Uh, but it seems as though the wagons are being circled, and uh, there's a lot of, of, of talk about all the terrible things that will be done to Edward Snowden for leaking this information. I uh, haven't heard uh, similar anger from those folks uh, toward the uh, DNI for lying about it. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.